Veni, Veni, Venias, and welcome to our podcast. Hello, and welcome to Ask a Medievalist. I'm M, the Ask portion of our program, and joining me, as always, is Dr. Jesse Noose. Hello! So, we have talked a little bit before about music. Um, more specifically, I think we've discussed, like, lyrics in the context of Carmina Burana, for example. Yes. But today, we're actually going to talk about musical instruments. Yes. Yeah. Um, we could also note that we have realized um, this is definitely a two-parter. So um, we have definitely mentioned things like the Carmina Burana, which of course is songs. That's what Carmina means. Um, although the music is lost. But we've talked about Hildegard, who of course her music is still around. There are other people whose music is still around. We will talk about them next time. Um, so we'll talk about composers and sort of actual pieces of music for the most part next time. A few exceptions. Um, and also we'll talk about tuning next time, which, um, to me, the thing that makes music sound old or as though it is from somewhere else, right? A different culture is all based really on tuning. Um, Mm -hmm. so obviously there are instruments that we no longer necessarily use as much, but generally speaking, I think musical instruments are one of those things that have been around forever. Um, and... Or at least, as, you know, we can't prove how long they've been around. Sure. Because they disappear, of course. Um, but they have probably been around forever. Certainly music has been around as long as humans have been, presumably. Right. Um, I mean, before we had, you know, um, a bassoon, people could yes. sing. So <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Right. So music has been around for a very long time, right? Presumably the oldest forms of music are vocal and percussion, right? Um, because you can clap your hands, you can stomp mm-hmm. your feet, you can slap your knee. I mean, all these things we still do, potentially. Um, so, yeah, music has been around forever. Instruments have been around a very long time. We'll talk about some of the old... Um, but it's also worth noting that in some ways they haven't really changed. It's a lot like theater. Um, electricity makes a big difference, but also sort of doesn't <laughs> in ways that are interesting, <laughs> right? Um Okay. An electric guitar is certainly different from an acoustic guitar, but also in a lot of ways is not, right? Um, and s- mm-hmm. I mean, they still, you play them yeah, the same. Still- the sound yes. is different. Yeah. Um, but the ways in which the sound is different also, um, that is arguably, again, maybe electricity has done something similar to tuning um, in the same way that sort of having lights in a theater, electric lights in a theater has done something Um certainly has created a change because really sound, um, there are sort of only so many sounds, right? Notes that you can get out of different types of instruments. And what really changes them is sort of tuning, right? And that's what tends to make us think of Mm -hmm. something as sounding old or sounding like it comes from a different culture. Um, So uh, we might as well jump in with my reasoning for this statement (laughs) is that basically instruments in a lot of ways as I said, haven't changed. You have wind instruments, which are things you blow into. Um, you yes. have percussion instruments, which are things that you hit or that in some way. Super yes. fun. Um, you have string instruments, which get plucked or bowed. Um, sometimes, of course, they are also hit, which is why, you know, is the piano mm-hmm. a string instrument or a percussion instrument? Um I was going to say, isn't there that, that Chinese one that you hit? 
with the yes, sticks. Yes, there are, there are actually a lot of instruments like that. So forget yeah, what we'll that's called. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit more about yeah. those. Um, and a lot of instruments, actually, you can do both. So um, we'll talk about, I think you are discussing, um, there are a lot of um, variations on what the Middle Ages called the psalter, the psaltery, um, which could be bowed or plucked or hit with mallets. Um, so we'll sort of get into that. But mm-hmm. um, anyway, so, you know, that being said, <laughs> stringed instruments are still stringed. Um, this is a thing they have. Um, so, you know, these are our kind of basics in a lot of ways. Um, and that's what we got. I mean, that's still really what we got. Um, and you can change them in a lot of ways, but this is, you know, these are still the main ways we have of making music, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah. I guess nothing else is in categories is coming to mind. Yeah. We differentiate... We differentiate woodwinds and reed instruments but other than that that's pretty much um yeah and of course hmm? oh and we sort of count piano as not a string instrument right well like i said is it string or is it (laughs) right um well you know i don't think pianists would be happy with either of those classifications to be honest yeah well now keyboards are their own thing but this is of course where they originate they originate with stringed instruments that were hit with mallets Oh, I did think of one. We have a theremin. The theremin yes. <laughs> is totally different from this. Yes. From this, because it is played by moving your hand through electrical fields. Yes. So electricity, here is where we have, right? Electricity having made a difference yeah. in ways that are very interesting. This is where we can link to a, a cat playing that I assume is still out there. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> Super relevant. Our cat episode just came exactly. out. So. Um, okay. And yes, I mean... <laughs> It's a, it's an instrument sort of made for a cat, is it not? Yeah. You know, because you just yeah. see them, like, stick the paw in, stick the paw in, <laughs> see what happens. Yep. Okay, so, yes, of course, and of course there are exceptions, and I'm sure people are yelling about accordions and things, but really, instruments still tend to all work or be descended from these categories. Okay. Um, so there are differences, and yes, now especially with electricity and with digital, um music there are things you can create that are that are unusual and not dependent on any of these categories although we're still used to sound coming from these categories so the the real i think realms kind of of digital music and what it can do are probably still a little bit in the future but there are people making strides towards that um that is not Mm -hmm. we might link some of those that is not of course in the middle ages so (laughs) but anyway um (laughs) Yeah. But we might as well start with the oldest instruments ever found. Okay. So, flutes generally are the oldest things found. Um, They tend to have been made out of bone, ivory, things like that, Um, which, of course, still don't last forever, of course, but um, do last for a while. (laughs) Um, Okay. And so the ones we've got, um, there's one that might be about 43,000 years old. Some people have claimed it's older, uh, from Slovenia, and um, wow. there's there's some questions about this. There are scientists who have started to argue that it's not a flute, that it's just a bone that happened to get chewed symmetrically. Um, actually, it's just slightly asymmetrically in a way that a flute would have been created. Um, and that uh. <laughs> this, this argument has come okay. about because of the assumption that humans, modern humans, homo sapiens, weren't in the area at the time, which would have meant that Neanderthals made it. And there is no proof that Neanderthals did actually make musical instruments. 
Um, that being said, um, in the Upper Danube in Germany, um, that's the Upper Danube, but Southern Germany, because of course this is how river. Um, they did find some flutes that they have recently sort of redated to be about 43,000 years ago. They had previously thought more like 35,000, but they have redated them to about 43,000 years ago, which is a long time. I just want to say that. Like 43,000 years. This isn't 4,300. This is 43,000 years ago. Um, So about the same time. That's incredible. And this is about the same time as those Slovenia flutes. Um, And again, they did not think humans had been in this area that soon, but um, they have now kind of reassessed that essentially that humans must have come Mm -hmm. through this area sooner and by humans of course i mean homo sapiens um, must have come through this area slightly sooner than they thought um, and that this is basically the evidence um, that they left behind um, some flutes made of bird bone and mammoth ivory (laughs) so we are talking about a time when woolly mammoths were still around yes that's amazing okay um all right so um we're going to hear a sort of recreation, hopefully, um, of the, the one that's called the Neanderthal bone flute, even though Neanderthals quite possibly did not make it, of course, because there is no proof of that. Um, it would have been modern humans, and it would mean that modern humans showed up in Slovenia earlier than thought, um, which is possible. But even if that is not exactly... You know, this is a recreation. It's very similar to the ones in Germany as well, right? So this is a recreation of one of those early bone flutes um, played. Yes, so let's see if this works. All right. Um, Hopefully... Hmm. that worked (laughs) Uh, we'll certainly link to all these um and we will try to mute ourselves when we have ads which we cut those out but (laughs) yeah i'll um, cut them out yeah but yes okay so there we have a recreation that's very haunting yes right you would never know that it wasn't um i mean you know a modern instrument for sure and it Mm -hmm. does have a sound yes it's very haunting Um, There's a sensibility, maybe, of a recorder. Yeah. Yeah, of a sort of high recorder, perhaps. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's a really interesting sense, right, of (laughs) just what, you know, music might have sounded like that long ago. Which is not terribly different, necessarily, from... Mm -hmm. Again, of course, one of the things that makes it different is that sound. Right, the tuning. Um, the tuning, more so. Right, the intervals between the notes yes. sound a little bit different than the half-step, full-step that we're used to. Yes. Yes. One of the things, of course, that has created modern tuning, and by modern, we really, really do mean modern. So we mean modern tuning um, in the sense of... Um, like the A440? Yeah, right. The piano <laughs> came in. <laughs> And Mm -hmm. um, so this is not even the fault of the harpsichord, which I definitely wish to defend. (laughs) Um, Harpsichords can be tuned, whatever. Um, But pianos can't be, right? The piano has a tuning, and that's basically what you use. Um, And Mm -hmm. it's not that you can't, of course, change the tuning of a piano, but that's not really how pianos work. 
they have a very specific right. tuning. This, you know, you, your keys do a specific series of steps and half steps. And um, yeah, that fact means that any time you're using a piano anywhere in the world, that that's going to be your tuning. So you can walk into a concert hall anywhere in the world and the piano is tuned the same way. And because the piano is tuned that way, that means all the instruments that are going to play with it are tuned that way. And this is how Western tuning sort of takes over. Um, I mean, this is very beneficial for touring pianists because they don't have to bring their own instrument yes. with them. Which, of course, is the point. You but, couldn't, obviously. <laughs> like, right. That's ridiculous. Um, but at the same time... You, just, you need to put bigger wheels yes. on it. <laughs> Push. Um, but yeah, at the same time, obviously, then there is a little bit of a problem with the idea that um, if you're using a piano at all... Um, that it has to sort of have this specific sound. Um, and then, you know, an entire orchestra is unlikely to retune itself to play a different song, right? So if you're going mm -hmm. to play Western music, then you're going to have an entire concert probably of that tuning. Um, and sure. it's only if you're going to play, you know, and that's the problem, though, because that if you want to play things that aren't Western music, then that's probably going to be the entire concert. Because if mm -hmm. it needs a different tuning, you're not going to retune yourselves in the middle. Um, if you are a smaller ensemble, though, like an early music ensemble, you're used to retuning yourself all the time, partly because you're using traditional um, instruments, which means that your, you know, <laughs> um, your wind instruments are still made out of the same materials, really, that modern instruments are, because obviously... You know, brass comes in 3,000 years ago, certainly 2,500 years ago for most cultures. So you've got mm -hmm. metal, you've got wood, of course. Um, but string is generally um, animal string, right? Made out of intestines. So you do mm -hmm. have to retune it, kind of. Um, so Baroque orchestras, early music ensembles, are used to retuning themselves. And so they can absolutely play a wide range of music. And they probably sort of have different instruments, they'll switch in and out. Um, but a sort of larger modern orchestra can't really. Um, and they're probably using synthetic instruments that don't have to be retuned. Um, so, you know, they still tune up at the beginning of each act. We're very used to that, right? The concertmaster mm -hmm. comes out and everyone tunes up. Yeah. Um, I mean, humidity and stuff can affect um, especially string instruments. Yes. But yeah. but it's less, it's not as much a requirement for a modern instrument. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, whereas Baroque instruments sort of have to retune. <laughs> Um, and of course, this is worth noting, though, as well, that um, in the medieval world, going back at least a couple thousand years, um, there were synthetic strings, um, particularly along the Silk Road. Silk was actually used for synthetic okay. strings. So um, Asia, hmm. you know, particularly China and places that traded mm -hmm. with it along the Silk Road, did start using synthetic strings, what we would call synthetic, <laughs> not animal strings. Um, they're, of course, silkworm strings, but not animal intestine. It, yeah, insect, yes. not animal. Um, so they started using those sort of sooner before things like... Um, but anyway, so that is our earliest flute. Um, I figure we might move on. Um, one of the popular instruments that comes on a little bit later, and by a little bit, I mean <laughs> many thousands of years. It's hard to know exactly, but um, that was 43,000 years ago. We're going to jump about <laughs> 42,000 years. Um, okay. So now we're just talking... Back like, to the time period we talk about a little bit more frequently. Yes, we're back to like the classical era. Um, you know, maybe as long ago, um, 
we will talk sort of as long ago as like Mesopotamia, which would be like 5,000 years. And so, but um, for flutes, we're going to jump a bit. Uh, so we're really talking more 25, 3,500 years ago. Um, so mm -hmm. around sort of the ancient Mediterranean and also sort of North Africa, um, Middle East, there are double flutes that show up. Um, and the Greek aulos, we have definitely talked about before. It's used in theater. It's one of the big ones. Um, but with that sort of haunting, the one that we just heard, I figured um, we'd get a little bit of this one. So this is the double flute, the aulos. So those are lower. Is it a double flute because it's like longer than a regular uh, flute? No, it's actually two flutes that you're playing at the same time. Oh. <laughs> I'm reminded of that that scene in The Simpsons where the one kid is like, you know those guitars that are like double guitars? Right. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, yeah, that is kind of what this okay, is. Okay, so it's like two flutes next to each other. Yes, you have them both in your mouth you like play them both at tucks. the same time. Yeah. They come out like oh my gosh tusks. what yeah okay yeah and they're great they're Greek vases with these we probably linked to some of these um, the vases and also some of the playing when we did the one of the early theater episodes I think just because um, there's one piece from Euripides's Oresteia the chorus um, or Oresteia Orestes it's <laughs> the Oresteia is this close um, but that chorus the chorus of the Furies. Um, that we actually still have the music. And so there's a, there's some good links of it and there's an Alos player. I mean, that's who accompanied the plays. Um, but yeah, and it could be higher. It can be a higher instrument. It depends. Right. But, um, okay. But you can hear the tuning again, right? That the tuning, um, it's deeper than the sort of haunting bone flute from 43,000 years ago. Um, but the tuning is still a little different. So we have that sense, right? The tuning is still different from, yeah, modern sort of Western tuning that we're used to, um, where you can create, the Greeks absolutely had quarter tones, <laughs> um, for example. Yeah. Uh, and this is definitely one of the sort of distinctions that, that we get, the earliest flute and oh, later flutes. And of course, there are plenty of modern instruments that also do that, but the modern flute that we think of, that is Western tuning doesn't necessarily provide that same. Um, so that idea of um, being able to play quarter tones and half tones. Mm -hmm. Yeah. is something that is very important to most music <laughs> for most of history, pretty clearly. Um, you know, the early flutes definitely have that ability. Um, so um, I would say those are kind of our really early ones. We can also mention, um, in sort of Siberia, the area of Siberia, um, there's some burials that um, they found a small drum uh, made of two halves of bullhorn. Um, that was, it's always assumed to be sort of ritual okay. use, which is quite possible, though. Um, and then they also found some string instruments, a small harp, um, 
was also found. Um, and this sort of brings us to our next, <laughs> next kind of oldest things that have been found, um, which are harps or lyres. This is with an L-Y, of course. <laughs> yes. According to mythology, I believe, invented by Hermes. Yes. Yeah. Possibly Hom- using a tortoise shell? Yes. Yeah, this is the Homeric hymn to Hermes, which is from the late 6th or 5th century, um, where Hermes, yes, he runs across a tortoise. This is, um, it's, he's born, and then he has this very interesting first day that involves stealing the kettle of the sun, um, sort of brilliantly, and... While his mother was napping. Yes. Which is like, you think your kids get into right. trouble when you're not looking. Yes. Um, and of course, the kettle of the sun ultimately belonged to Helios or Apollo. In this case, it is Apollo. Um, he's pissing off. Um, and yeah, one of the things he does sort of very early on as he's toddling along um, is find a tortoise. And he's excited and says, aha, come with me. Um, and it said that he taught the tortoise how to sing. Of course, he kills the tortoise. Um, scoops him out oh. and strings him. Yes. And thus invents okay. the lyre, which ultimately, you know, will appease Apollo, <laughs> who is and will become, I guess. Anyway, the god of music. Um, so, you know, but anyway. Um, yes. So the lyre slash harp. So this we are talking about a stringed instrument that you probably hold in a crooked arm, basically. <laughs> There are many, many varieties, but these are also very, very early. We have not found any that are obviously as old as the flute because um, they tend to be made out of wood and animal intestine, so they disappear. Yeah. Um, these feel very associated with Greek culture for me, and maybe because every, I want to say classical painting, <laughs> but you know, like Renaissance era painting of ancient Greece, somebody's holding a lyre. Yes. Well, um, the earliest ones we found are actually from Mesopotamia. So these are about 4,500 to 5,000 years old. Um, they are actually, I think, three lyres and one harp, if we're being technical, but they're known as the lyres of Ur, of course, because of okay. Mesopotamia. Um, and yeah, so they're they're sort of our earliest find. Um, obviously, tortoise shell, I don't really know how the you know tortoise shells degrade, but Again, it is organic matter, so um, mm-hmm. clearly, like, harps just tended, they're probably a later instrument, number one, because obviously you could make them out of ivory, you could have a whole ivory frame or a bone, bone frame, um, but, you know, um, so they, they quite possibly weren't made as early as flutes. I mean, that is that does seem likely, that of the instruments that were created, <laughs> um, that flutes are probably wind instruments, we're, you know, we're calling them flutes, but pipes recorders whatever it is that you sort they sort of resemble maybe um that those just are the earliest right mm-hmm. and harps there they might have been around a little bit earlier made out of um materials that didn't last that is possible um but you know um we don't have <laughs> We don't have them. So this can only ever be based on the evidence that we have available, basically. Yes, right. So that's that is sort of sort of our issue here. But um let's see. So the the liars of Ur. Um here this is an example uh with a pipe as well. So this is a recreation. So there's a pipe. You can hear 
This one is lower again, but... So, again, a lower example of what we've been hearing the whole time. All right, and we'll add, yeah. we'll add the, the reconstruction of the one of the layers of earth. That sounds that sounds really sitar esque. Yes, and yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, this is a really this is these are pretty big instruments. It should be put like um, so. We'll hear again. Um, we will hear the Greek, which tends to be handheld. These are bigger. Um, these were probably not handheld. Um, you probably sat okay. around them kind of the way you do a modern harp on some level, um, or at least this this one. Um, I mean, it's not that you can't hold it, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just a bigger, so it is bigger and that's how you, you know, you get the deeper sound, of course. Um, and yes, there is something that sounds very much like a sitar about it. We will get to the sitar, <laughs> um, in a bit, that is it, but this is a reconstruction. Okay. Yeah. So about 5,000 years ago, um, and you, yeah, I mean, I think one of the reasons it has that sound to us is that of course, um, it, I mean, it is ultimately no. <laughs> String instruments are coming out of various parts of the world. Mesopotamia here, right? The Mediterranean, the Greek world, of course, sort of India, Central Asia. Um, and there's a lot of trade sort of around of various types of things. But again, right, the, the type of tuning and the type of strings used, right, that gives it this sound um, that we now associate very specifically kind of with um, the sitar and probably with it, right? Just because that's kind of where mm -hmm. we know it. Yeah. But in fact, right, this is sort of what instruments sounded like. I mean, these these were the tunings around. Um, it's I don't know, it's a little weird to me in some ways that the West really sort of disappeared from this sort of half-tone, quarter-tone system. Up until very modern composers use some... Yes. There's been a... Quarter tones. Yeah. That's a very modern... Yeah. Um... But anyway, so you hear that great sound, right? And this is not something that we do associate, I think, with a lyre or with a harp. Like, that is not the sound we associate with them. No. <laughs> um, but there you are, right? They have, they absolutely can have this sound. Um, so that's, so that's from Mesopotamia, reconstruction of one of the ones from Mesopotamia. Uh, we'll link to, you know, their images of them and stuff. There's some reconstructions. Um, they are in various museums, including, of course, the British Museum. So we can link to, link to some images. Um, one of the oldest that's been found in Europe, um, in Skye, so the Isle of Skye, um, they found what they think is a the bridge from a lyre, right? So, you know, oh. stringed instruments tend to have bridges to hold the strings up off the instrument. And, uh, yeah, they found a bridge from about 2,300 years ago. So, um, okay. yeah. So, you know, this is a very widespread instrument. Um, it it quite possibly originates in different places, but also definitely travels, right? I mean, the fact that it exists in Mesopotamia 5,000 years ago, obviously, is trade moves. So if you think as things art, 
of, you know, also moves up language, alphabets move up kind of into Greece and across Europe. All these things do. Um, things, of course, also move off to India and into Asia. Um, and then a lot of things come back the other way as well, right? Um, once we get things yeah. like the Silk Road and so on. Um, but yeah, so there's trade, there's absolutely trade and travel. Um, but there are also probably multiple locations of invention for a variety of things, which is why you do get certain differences. Um, so for example, yeah, in Siberia, the small harp, um, in this case is made out of a single piece of wood that's been hollowed out. Okay. Right. So, you know, again, the reminder, if that is how early harps or lyres were made, why they would of course disintegrate. Right. Um, and that's one of the things of course about, um, instruments is that usually you only have to make them out of things like bone or ivory or materials that will last, um, if they're going to be really important or if somebody really mm -hmm. rich is paying for it right um you know if you're hunting woolly mammoths forty-three thousand years ago um and you generally have tusks for things even then right that you probably could use them for other things like spears and so on so the idea of taking some of it and making a musical instrument has to mean that that's a really important thing to do um but it does last, right? Right. Um, but, you know, if things you like... have not a lot of resources, whatever you invest your resources in right. is automatically important. Right. Um, and I, you know, at the same time, you can see how it might improve the quality of your flute in a way that making a harp out of ivory, as opposed to certain types of wood, might not improve it in the same way, right? Mm -hmm. So in some ways that until you have, you know, <laughs> Ur, a place like Ur, um, where... You obviously have you know, royalty, nobility, you have all these classes, you have wealth, you have a city. Um, that's the sort of place where you're going to get people willing to pay for what are, I mean, these harps are made out of like, liars, they're liars mostly, um, made out of, you know, ivory and lapis lazuli and just, you know, gold. I mean, they're, wow. they're very, they're, these are royal ritual expensive objects, right? Um, okay. So, and that's why they're still around. Right. But it's also the reminder, like, mm -hmm. harps probably did exist much earlier. It's a very easy instrument to make, as Hermes shows us. <laughs> but, um, yes. you know, it's just that they probably weren't as frequently made out of materials that lasted. So, um, but nonetheless, right? So we get them from Mesopotamia 5,000 years ago, um, Europe 2,300 years ago, um, Siberia as well. Um, and then Greece, um, we don't really have the survivals, but of actual instruments from that long ago, but of course we do have a lot of literary evidence that they've been around, um, you know, probably for at least 3000 years there. Um, her, the Homeric hymn to Hermes is you know, kind of more recent in some ways, late sixth or fifth century. Um, but we definitely, you know, assume based on literary evidence that they have, that they, um, so here is, um, let's see, um, the various types of lyre that exist. Um, we've talked about, I think, um, a lot of funerary monuments have sirens. Sirens, of course, considered kind of dangerous and evil, but they guarded funerary monuments. Um, so there is also very much this sense of them as protectors. Oh, yeah, sirens as in... The yes, women the bird, bird who women. Uh, tempted tempted Odysseus, yes. not the um, thing that goes off every 
the first Wednesday of the month right. to tell <laughs> the you that tornado warnings are still working. <laughs> yes. Yes. Exactly. Do they do that everywhere? Is that just a Midwest thing? Um, they do it. They actually do do it here. I, um, but mostly, like VCU always says they're doing it, and then I never hear it. I've heard it a couple times, but mostly, like you get an alert that says it's over. So I'm not quite sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. But. Anyway, but yes, theoretically, I think that's the thing you have to do across the U.S. Like, you know, it's obviously tornadoes in, in the Midwest, <laughs> but I think it's... Air raids. Yes, air I raids. think it's for warnings of all kinds. Yeah. yeah. But essentially, right, <laughs> the sort of general point um, is that, yeah, sirens are... So they are connected, of course, to music. Yes, they they tempt you with it to wreck yourself on the rocks and then they'll eat you, right? They're sort of these bird women. Yes, they, they sing. Yes, but they sing. Right. Um, but they're used, they're also seen as protectors, right? They protect their sort of, you know, what it is they are guarding. Um, and so, yeah, they appear on funerary monuments. And we've linked to them, I know. I can't quite remember why. I think it may be the, mm -hmm. one of the Halloween episodes or something when we were talking about mythic creatures, perhaps. I'm not sure. Um, we will have to, we'll put it in the notes. But um, anyway, but they're yes. shown usually with a, a lyre, a tortoise shell lyre in a crooked wing or possibly arm, depending. <laughs> Usually they're sort of bird, but they have arms. Okay. Arms and actual, you know, and female heads. Um, and that's the point, right? That they are playing and singing, right? That they are protecting the person um, you know, lying within. Um, so there are sort of simple liars. Um, and then there are the much more sort of complicated ones. Um, so the kithara, which is where we get the word guitar eventually, even though oh. the guitar is... Not a liar, but, you know, these things, it takes a while. You get transformation. Uh, but, yeah, so mm -hmm. the kithara is sort of the really complex, um, generally seven-string lyre. It is... Sound like a harp that we might recognize as a harp. Okay. Yeah. So also a reminder, of course, that Western tuning does owe a lot to the Greeks. They come up with all the things that we think of as tuning in the West. They come up with the mm -hmm. things you still usually have to learn about tuning if you take music theory. Um, and there you are, right? <laughs> uh, so that is a kithara. That is, of course, a modern recreation, again, being played by modern master. Um, yeah, but there you are, right? So at this point, we have moved from the sort of Mesopotamian sound, right, to a sound that is very recognizable, Arguably sort of from the Mediterranean today, but certainly harps and jump, this is kind of what they sound like. So, um, yeah. yeah, so that's been around, this is, you know, 2,500 years or so. Um, and that is the sort of more complex version. So not necessarily the tortoise shell. Um, but yeah, you already sort of get the sense of, of what they can sound like. Um, all right. So a quick note sort of for liars, which are um, really kind of one of those foundational string instruments, um, as you can tell. I mean, we've heard sort of the harp slash lyre go from Mesopotamia to Greece. You've 
you know, we've heard sort of what we still think of um, as a sitar today to what we think of as a harp today. Um, the word guitar does, I believe, come from kithara. So, um, you know, the ways in which that sort of resemblance sticks around. Um, we might as well mention we're going to do songs mostly next time. But um, the oldest song that we really have with with music, obviously, <laughs> um, is a Hurrian hymn. It's on a cuneiform tablet from Ugarit, Syria, from about 1400 BCE. Um, and it mm-hmm. includes a nearly complete hymn to Nikal, the goddess of the orchards. She's a sort of Semitic goddess um, from Ugarit, Canaan, Phoenicia. Um, and one tablet presents the tuning method. So here we are, right? Tuning for a Babylonian lyre. And another refers to musical. Um, and these are, of okay. course, the things that give you music, right? Along with tempo, right? But tuning, intervals, tempo, this is where you... Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, the sense of being able to potentially recreate using a lyre, right? Um, that sort of the earliest song that we've got, this It sounds obviously a lot like the Mesopotamian lyres, which it yeah. would. <laughs> I mean, that would make sense. Um, and it's a uh, nice tune. Yeah. And by the way, that's that. Um, but yeah, and he was also, by the way, the one playing the the so that's two in a row. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, we get this this that similar sound, right? So we recognize it. This is still very early. It is connected to, related to, um, the ones found in Mesopotamia. Um, and in this case, of course, this would be sort of a Babylonian lyre and tuning, um, and the attempt to sort of recreate that, right? But you hear the, the similarities, right? So, um, this is still a little bit before, you know, any evidence we have from Greece, um, but also a sort of clear sense, right, that Greece also does absolutely develop its own tunings. Um, mm-hmm. and so you can, you can hear that. Um, yay. So there is, right, there is evidence from very early. Um, music, it's very, very difficult, of course, because, um, even theater, right, plays are written down. So Greek plays had music that we've mostly lost, but we have the text of the play. Um, the problem, of course, with songs is you can have the lyrics, but, and this is really a problem with Greek theater as well. I mean, without the music, you are missing so much. Mm -hmm. Um, what would opera be if you only had the lyrics? (laughs) yes that's true for most musicals i mean a lot of melodrama right mostly and stabbings yes (laughs) i think we've talked about this before i don't know if it was just you and me talking or if this was an actual episode that shakespeare has a lot of songs that we don't have the music for either yes right 
Yes. But the fun thing about Shakespeare, of course, is that people always do compose music for them, right? So yes. People, so they're still absolutely always sung, right? Um, it's mm-hmm. But whereas Greek plays are pr- almost never sung, not never, they definitely are sometimes, but it's very rare because you'd have to compose music to the whole thing. Right, which is theoretically how mm-hmm. opera started. Actually, there's the Renaissance trying to sort of recreate musicals, basically what the Greeks had done. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, where where everyone sings and dances. <laughs> That's how you get opera. Um, and of course, it's a reminder. You know what we would think of the magic flute without Mozart's music. Um, Euripides and Aeschylus and Sophocles, they all did their own music. Um, mm-hmm. But, and they were obviously extraordinary poets on a level that isn't necessarily true for a lot of modern musicals or operas. I won't say, I won't say <laughs> none. I mean, there are definitely some that are amazing, but, you know, um, it's not right. necessarily the part that we remember. However, um, it is a sort of reminder if you think about listening <laughs> to Magic Flute without any of the music and without, say, you've never heard the music, so you can't be imagining it in your head, right? Right. Um, so... If that's what it's like to see Medea <laughs> without the music, right? There's something sort of extraordinary about yeah. about what it must have been like to really have the whole thing. Um, and I'm trying to picture somebody performing Der Hole Rach without <laughs> singing it. Yes, I mean it's uh, you know obviously silly. <laughs> I mean, what yes. would not do this? Um, and so on the one hand, yes, it's all we have, but on the other hand, it's a reminder of how much we've lost. And for music that is not connected to a story like a play that is a hymn, um, it can be, you know, it's sort of impossible to recover. Um, so the idea that there are these moments, like this tablet that tells you, here's the tuning, here are the intervals, Um Next time we'll talk about sort of a Greek example that carved on the Temple of Apollo, I believe. There's some actual music to go with the text. Um, What that means to sort of have that music, right? To be able to hear, because music is so ephemeral, right? And it's it's not just that the music itself is ephemeral, but that writing it down, right, takes notation. Um, And so the consistency of notation um, is you know, rare. Um, and beyond that, there, you know, literacy itself, which we've actually had an episode about, um, literate, literacy is a thing that is still being worked on, right? Musical literacy. I mean, obviously, you can learn things by ear. So the idea of writing things down to pass them along musically. Right. I mean, the number of people who are going to read music, <laughs> you know, so it just, it becomes just, they're so small a pool of evidence, presumably, to begin with. That mm-hmm. what survives is really almost miraculous. Um, but, you know, sometimes just recreating the instrument itself can give you a sense of what it must have sounded like. Um, you know, you recarve a flute and you give it to a master and see what sounds they can make, basically. Um, that might give you a sense of what the tuning could have been. However, uh, it, of course, helps when you occasionally find something like this that says, this is the tuning. Here are some of the intervals, right? Because then you can start to establish a sort of baseline for what was expected. Um, yeah. So here we are. Um, all yeah. of our sort of early stuff. <laughs> Yay. Having fun. Um, all right. I think we're starting to run a little low on time. Should we jump ahead? and Yes. Okay. And talk about more Middle Ages. All right. So, well, we're going to jump ahead to, <laughs> we have mentioned the guitar. 
All right. I figured we'd take yes. a little bit of a stroll through medieval antecedents of the guitar. Um, okay. Which there are quite a lot, of course, because it sort of comes from all over. Um, and obviously things like the lute, and lute essentially, um, or <laughs> which is kind of the European oud. These are sort of obvious, but even beyond that, there are definitely other sort of um, plenty of other interesting. Um, so um, here's an ektara, which is a one string instrument, single string instrument from India. Okay. All right. So that's the single string ektara, um, which, again, of course, we are kind of heading towards the sitar, <laughs> which you can sort of tell. It looks a little bit like um, like an arhu. I guess an arhu has two strings. Yeah. Well, we can also let's see. Dutar, um, which has two strings. Um, this is particularly a rot. So the ektar, of course, India, ektar, ektar, um, sort of moves around. So in Iran and Central Asia, we get the dutar. Uyghur guitar. Yes. Okay. Yes, they are a people from... Now I always get this mixed up because of the way West and East reverse themselves. The um, the left side of China, right? The left side of China. The far side by Uzbekistan. Um, yes, Northwest. Yes. <laughs> they are yes, a the Muslim minority today. Yes, and are very much very in oppressed. Yeah. yeah. And if you go to like Beijing, they have good restaurants. Oh, well, that's nice. The ones who aren't actively being murdered, I guess. Yes, I was going to say, right, there are concentration but, camps, essentially, for Uyghurs. Yes. To be sort of... Um, yes, the last, yeah. the last time I was in China, um, somebody took me to a Uyghur restaurant, and they they have very good restaurants. Yeah, but. yeah. Well, uh, but yeah, this is one of the reasons why I figured we'd... Because obviously, dutars are around, generally, in sort of Central Asia... But even Iran, like, it, you know, I mean, there's a big area as always that these things cover. Um, yeah. But yes, sorry, yes. So the Uyghur, um, the, one of the points, right, um, is that, yeah, current, I mean, music is always supposed to be a reminder that, um, of the things that bring us together, right? <laughs> um, yeah. And so, yeah, that currently um, the U.S. is, you know, tiptoeing around the extent to which China is... Uh, trampling all over not just civil liberties, but you know the extent to which China is potentially sort of perpetrating a genocide of some sort, um, and the U.S. is kind of tiptoeing around a lot of this for obvious reasons of um, fear, you know, of what happens mm -hmm. when you actually start a trade war with China and things. Um, but yeah, so I have a quick example from them. Um, yes, so that's two stringed. Um, uh, and then, of course, yeah, the sitar, <laughs> I figure, we we know we recognize, um, but it is yes. also medieval, right? Um, it's certainly been around okay. um, and is very old. How many strings does a sitar have? It's a lot, yeah, right? a lot. Um, do actually, let's see, 
I did have an example. I'm trying here. to count all the tuning pegs. Um. Yeah. Here. Here is. I mean, just I figure. <laughs> So that is obviously a modern sitar. <laughs> um, that is not a recreation. That is a very modern. Yes. Um, electric For more sitar music, sitar. see music of the Beatles. Yes, famously. I guess. Um, yeah. Which, you know, I mean, um, there are a lot of interesting ways. So speaking of tunings and so on, um, in which the Beatles sort of, you know, genuine interest in music and in, yeah, manifested itself. <laughs> um <laughs> And really did, I think, help open, um, you know, it's part of, of course, British colonialism, ultimately, but um, Mm -hmm. that it really did remind the West of the sounds that were out there in ways that I think were very important and are very important because um, it definitely opened people back up to the possibilities that, for example, Western tuning wasn't the sort of be all and the... Mm -hmm. um, so, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, although that is both famous and kind of funny, and we, you know, pay homage to George Harrison, absolutely, and Ravi Shankar, um, there is something important about that, right, that people learned. And I think that that's one of the reasons why modern Western musicians have um, sort of, in many cases, gone back to try other tunings and reminded themselves that there are other... Um, and all of those things. Yeah. Um, so that was, of course, like I said, we what we heard was a very modern sort of electric sitar. <laughs> um, but they did originate in the Middle Ages, sort of they flourished in the early modern period um, and become kind of what we think of them today um, by sort of the 17th and 18th centuries. Um, so, okay, you know, but so <laughs> um, it probably originated with three strings. Um, which is where the name comes from. And they from. just kept adding more strings. Basically, yeah. yeah. Um, so a traditional one, actually, from the Middle Ages would have had three strings, presumably. So you see, we sort of climbed up one string, okay. kitara, two strings, dutar, <laughs> um, three strings. So there's like, I want to imagine there's some guy who's learning the sitar, and he's like, you know what? I'm going to add another string. Yes. It's going to give me an edge on all those other players. Yes. Well, it makes me think you know. of... Um, our strings go to 11. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, it also makes me think of things like, um, you know, Greek theater, where there were, you know, originally it was a dithyrambic chorus, and then you had one person, and then you had two characters, you know, from Aeschylus, and then you had three. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they kind of stopped at comedy head. But yeah, sometimes you, you keep adding things. Um, strings, people love to add strings to instruments. They're the tradition. Sure. Look at the, you know, kithara, right? Seven stringed lyre. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a lot, <laughs> you know, you could definitely have like five. This is why you have double guitars now, right? Exactly. Yes. So <laughs> yeah, there's definitely this sense of, um, yes, adding things. Um, and yeah, but also it's a reminder of how things do evolve, right? I mean, the Ektara, the Dutar, the Sitar, right? These are all still played. Um, but you can also see how they kind of changed, right? They went different places. People started adding string, um, yeah, and eventually you start to get a lot of strings. So um, it is worth mentioning a three-string instrument that still exists um, from China. I mean, it 
it existed around, obviously, because you had like the sitar <laughs> that originally had three strings, probably. Um, where did it originate? Who knows? But um, so China, the Sanshian, which becomes the Shamisan in Japan, um, that is a three stringed instrument still. Okay. People, people definitely still play those because you can um, find people playing, you know, Stairway to Heaven on them on YouTube if you look around. Right. Yes. <laughs> so um, that is also sort of plucked or, you know, you have an instrument um, that is sort of a pick. Right. Um, and mm -hmm. unlike a guitar, which you can use a pick, but you also can use your fingers, um, you are expected to use the pick for a shamisan. Um, but yes. OK. Um, yeah. It's a traditional instrument from Japan. Um, absolutely. You know, played in the Middle Ages. That is now also, um, yes, I mean, that's the thing, right? If I think we, we may have discussed them, if, um, if you're interested, to cross-reference the Japanese theater yes. episode. Yeah. Because they do come up during the, the traditional sort of yes. um, background instruments, I guess, that accompany performances. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, yeah, that's the thing, though, right? How you make things relevant today is you, yes, play modern things on them, like Led Zeppelin. <laughs> right so um that becomes i mean yeah. everybody has who has learned an instrument in their youth has thought how can i play stairway to heaven on this yes. right exactly i don't know <laughs> um yes so that is absolutely one of those things that you gotta try yeah um yes. all right so that's so the shamisan three three strings um, to this day. There it is, right? Um, so yeah, all of these things, of course, um, probably the most famous early kind of antecedent to the guitar, um, more direct antecedent, are the lute and the oud. Um, and one of the fun things about these, um, lutes, the lute and the oud, um, the differences between these tend to have things to do with, of course, kind of shape tuning, uh, but also... Lutes get kind of um, broken down into long neck and short neck. <laughs> um, okay. So that is another distinction. Um, I did want to mention there's a famous um, illumination um, of an Arabic Muslim musician, presumably, um, with a Christian musician, both of them playing um, ouds. Um, and this image, <laughs> this miniature... Um, is in an illuminated manuscript of um, the Cantigas de Santa Maria, written by Alfonso X, the Wise of Castile, um, who we talked about in our animal episode. Yeah, he had a pet ferret. Yes. He wrote a whole Cantiga to the Virgin. I mean, they're all to the Virgin, of course, Santa Maria. Um, yeah. But there was one that is specifically because she saved his pet ferret. Yes. Um, <laughs> so this is a great, you know, set of cantigas songs um but the i think what is known as the e-codex um el escorial has a lot of 
miniatures of musicians generally. So there are a lot of, you know, it's a great illuminated manuscript. Um, and so with miniatures of flute players and all sorts of things. Um, and it includes this duo, um, a Muslim and a Christian musician. Um, so that's a sort of fun, fun callback. Um, and the, um, here's, here's, um, an oud. So that's generally um, the Arabic or Middle Eastern um, version of the instrument. And um, as I said, the, the sensibility tends to be um, a little bit the shape, but particularly sort of the nations. Okay. Um, and here is some lute music. This is actually Renaissance. This is a Renaissance album. This is John Dowland. But, you know, the lute is the lute. So <laughs> here's the European lute. So this is starting to sound a lot more like what, I don't know, both what we expect of medieval music and like... Yes. More more modern. Yes. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing, right? Because it's in the Middle Ages that we start to get that real turn. Um, the Middle Ages, of course, like, I mean, in music as in everything else, um, has been first, you know... Um, when we start the Middle Ages, kind of in the 500s, they've been isolated. We've had the fall of Rome, sort of trade, all these things are off. This is why it is sometimes known somewhat unfairly as the Dark Ages. As we move through the High Middle Ages, we get the Crusades, um, which are not great for many obvious reasons, but also mean that suddenly there is movement and trade and, you know, there's a lot of stealing and looting and bringing things back to Europe. Um, and that is why, right, you start to get a lot of texts, including music, right? Musical instruments, tunings, songs. Um, and so the widening up, this is how we get the Renaissance again, right? The resurgence of all these texts, the rebirth um, of all this knowledge. And trade starts up again, um, or really gets going very, very widely, right? So not just to the Middle East, but all the way out as far as even China, um, and so you suddenly get this fascinating, um, moment where all of these things are converging, right? So instruments, songs, tunings, techniques, um, all of this stuff. And so, yeah, it essentially turns in Europe, it turns, that is what of course turns into modern <laughs> Western music. Um, and yeah. it does come out of this sort of resurgence of um, interest in what's happening around the world, right? A sort of borrowing of a lot of stuff. Um, and yeah, a lot of what's going on in the Middle East particularly affects what happens. And so you can hear, right, the 
instrumentation, the tuning eventually will change. But this, you hear that, you absolutely hear that movement um, through the Middle Ages of what was going on sort of before, <laughs> um, where, of course, we have um, lots of vocal music, particularly, right? So monastic chant, for example. Mm-hmm. And once you really, and then, you know, yeah, the High Middle Ages, partly because of things like the Crusades, um, we start to get different tunings, we start to get polyphony, right? <laughs> A different sense of how you use instruments. Um, so polyphony, harmony. Um, yeah. So suddenly this sort of interesting influx of, of new sounds. Um, Do you want to talk about the hurdy-gurdy quick? And then... Okay. I was going to say, we actually we have a lot to talk about next time. Um, yeah. But so much, because we didn't get to percussion <laughs> at all. And we didn't really finish wind instruments, because we still got more horns and stuff. Um, but yes, let us discuss the hurdy-gurdy quickly, because um, we have been talking about string instruments. Um, so the ones that we haven't quite got to are the hurdy-gurdy and the psaltery. Um, vials, of course, we will talk about, but those are modern. We, we know what a vial is, right? They turn into violins and cellos and violas. Um, mm-hmm. The hurdy-gurdy... <laughs> is a cranked wield. So it's a string instrument, but unlike the normal lute that you would pluck, um, if you bow it, then it's, you know, something more like what we would consider today a vial. Um, well, you crank it in a sort of resined wheel turns. And um, okay. yeah, so that's it's the hurdy-gurdy. It is a stringed instrument um, where you crank a wheel underneath, sort of by the bridge, Right. And um, as it turns against the strings, <laughs> um, that is how the instrument plays. So um, it's a very interesting, obviously, um, instrument, partly because, um, of course, the turning of this wheel um, does kind of create a specific sound in and of itself in a way that... Um, plucking strings or bowing them does not necessarily um you obviously can screech your bow against the strings but that is usually frowned upon unless you are doing something sort of Mm -hmm. (laughs) avant-garde um yeah here we go Uh, Matthias Leubner. Um, we'll obviously link to it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's great. I mean, it's an amazing, amazing instrument. Um, it's one of those instruments where you really wonder how people invented it. Um, but yeah, you can hear, we'll play a little bit more I guess, um, after we sort of talk about it, but yeah, you can hear in it, right, the sort of, that kind of hum, right, the wheel turning. Um, and yet you can also tell, you play it, you have all these fingerings, um, you know, it's not a keyboard instrument, but you do have all of these fingerings. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can even hear that a little bit. Let's see. Mm-hmm. 
So in the quiet moments where you can even kind of hear a little bit of the click of the fingering. Yeah. Ah, um, yeah, but it's really kind of incredible because it does kind of sound like a vial, right, in a mm-hmm. lot of ways, um, while clearly something about listening to it tells you that it isn't one, <laughs> right? But yes. if you didn't know what it – if you weren't looking at it and you didn't know what it was and you were just listening, you wouldn't necessarily know – you might assume it was a type of vial you hadn't sort of heard of before or something, right? Right, so you might assume that some of those other noises, like the buzzing or the little clicking, that those are coming from other things. Um, mm-hmm. but they're not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because the top note really does sound a lot like a yes. fiddle music. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds it sounds very, yeah, much like sort of what we think of as kind of medieval, yeah, a medieval violin, essentially, viol of some kind, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so that's, that is the hurdy-gurdy. Um I do want to mention, so we have, um, we might as well bring in um, an ancient Greek harp, <laughs> uh, the Epigonian, um, which is, this is early. Um, so this is, you know, a couple thousand years ago. Um, it's mentioned, and it's probably a little bit before that as well. But this is a harp, right? Um, so unlike the sort of lyres we talked about. Um, and this might be, this is a sort of type of psaltery. Um, which becomes a really sort of big stringed instrument in the Middle Ages. These are ones where you see people. So the Greek one, the Epigonian, is a harp. We'll hear that in a sec. But otherwise, um, where you see the sort of big wooden stringed instruments that people lay across their laps, um, yeah. that's what we're talking about when we talk about a psaltery. So first we'll get the harp. Okay. This has twenty three strings. Twenty three. Yeah. So you know it's a harp. I mean, we're heading toward harps as we kind of know them today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's not exactly handheld. You know, it's bigger. It's not as big as a modern harp, of course. But. So that's a harp, as we probably would recognize that, I think, as a harp if we heard it. Um, that tends to be, I mean, generally, um, a little bit lower, not quite as ethereal, right? You don't get mm-hmm. that um, sort of airy sound that kind of keeps going forever somehow. Um, it is still a little more plucky, um, but it's recognizable, certainly, right? Um, all right, so here is yeah. a psaltery. So this is that we're jumping into the Middle Ages. So that was, again, ancient, although, of course, they lasted, but you know, started in sort of ancient Greece a couple thousand years ago, um, and then jumping into lying on your lap. Yeah, that has that much more um, resonant quality to it, right? Yes. Yeah, it actually sounds probably, it has the sound, that sort of resonance of the harp that we expect. 
Um, but it does not look like one, <laughs> right? It's this big wooden thing that's lying on your lap. And of course it gets its resonance from the box. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, and of course you can tell, I mean, it's a gorgeous instrument. Um, so that's plucked um, and they could also be bowed. There was such a thing as a bowed psaltery. So here it is. All right. Hmm. <laughs> yep. Nice. Yes. Yeah. Right. So, um, yeah, there's this great sort of sense um, of, it sounds very much like a bowed string instrument, but again, does not look like one because a piece of wood is sort of flat. Um, but you see, right, suddenly we've gotten to sounds that we kind of consider very modern, although the instruments themselves do not necessarily look modern or don't look like they're modern equivalents in sound. Right. <laughs> you mm -hmm. could easily recreate that sound with a violin, basically. But this is not a violin. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So this is a sort of it's a great sort of reminder in some ways, the sound, the instrument itself, the ways in which these shifted and eventually do kind of collide again to where we get the modern instruments making the modern sound. Um, but modern sound existed earlier and of course modern instruments that were tuned differently and therefore made sounds that we're not as familiar with also existed yeah um we should give some shout outs to p think that was james jones on the bode psaltery um and um let's see tessie wayno on the plucked psaltery um and ancient world music for the so yeah um there's you know obviously uh Oh, and James Willits, by the way, on the Aulos, back back before. Um, so there is definitely a sense of, um, you know, ethnomusicologists who, of course, study music from cultures around the world, um, and then archaeologists who help put things together. Um, and um, then there are people who are sort of combinations of archaeologists and ethnomusicologists um, who study ancient cultural music from around the world and try to recreate things. There are people who specialize in recreating ancient instruments. Um, so there's really a sort of incredible um, background to a lot of these instruments. And the funny thing that when you hear them, um, the ways in which the sound is, is frequently um, very similar to maybe something else that we have, right? <laughs> um, you sort of never know. Um, so for next time, we are saving wind instruments. There's some really fascinating wind instruments we'll talk about. Uh, we're going to talk about medieval bagpipes, which are a great example of how oh the boy. earlier version, depending on your feelings about bagpipes, <laughs> maybe sounds <laughs> uh, less abrasive than the modern version. It totally depends on your feelings. I mean, okay. I'm a fan, but medieval bagpipes are just incredible. <laughs> I mean, they're just amazing. Um, so we will talk about, yeah, wind instruments next time. Um, and then we will also get into, as I said, some... We'll get into some larger medieval actual music, so you can hear everything together. We'll hear some, you know, we'll call out some groups that, that do that. Um, and we'll talk about some of the actual songs and composers and stuff, therefore, right? That, that put all these things, put all these instruments together, um, that you can then hear them play together. Um, which, of course, is cool. the fun. Yes. And there are cool. groups that do this. I mean, well, yeah. 
Yeah. All right. Well, that's that'll be great. Well, <clears throat> thank you all for listening, and thank you, Dr. Jesse, for joining me. Uh, if you enjoyed the show, you can find us on Facebook, uh, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, and visit our website at askamedievalist.com. If you have questions about medievalism, uh, drop us a line using the Contact Us form on our website or send us an email to questions at askamedievalist.com. Until next time, um, keep it medieval! Ask a Medievalist is a production of This Can't Be That Hard Studios and is not endorsed, acknowledged, or condoned by Virginia Commonwealth University or any of its constituent departments. Our theme music is Veni Veni Venias from Carmina Burana by Carl Orff, performed by the MIT Concert Choir and licensed under a Creative Commons attributional non-commercial license version 3.0. If you enjoyed our podcast, please rate us and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, why not tell a friend? For more on today's topic, including sources, annotations, and corrections, visit our website at www.askamedievalist.com. And if you have questions, feel free to drop us an email at questions at askamedievalist.com. 